following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. I've been away for uh, 20 years, so I don't pretend to know the Kiwi culture so, so well anymore, but... You know, as we, as we approach Scripture this morning, and it's the passage in Mark chapter 12, and I hope you brought your Bibles or your phones or your iPads or whatever you, you do to read your Bible on nowadays. Uh, it's kind of all different now, isn't it? But I hope you, you'll follow along. But to understand the widow's might, we kind of got to have some context. I think we need to have a bit of a lead-in from the book of Mark, and so I want to do that. But I want, I want to start with here, and, and you're going to need to help me a bit, because well, having been away, I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, that if you wanted to, in New Zealand, if you wanted to hear the Christian message, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, even though you've got sort of Google and, and this age of information at our fingertips, most people would say, well, to do that, to hear the gospel, you go to church. Still, wouldn't they? Reasonably? You know, I, I thought that was still the go. And that's why we're meeting here this morning, and that's why, um, you know, lots of others are meeting all around the country, and we'll do all around the world. But in the book of Mark, right at the beginning, the message didn't begin at the, at the centres, at the places of worship at all. It didn't begin in Jesus' day at their churches, in the synagogues, or in the temple in Jerusalem. It didn't begin at the religious institutions. It didn't start there at all. It started at a faraway place, at the margins. In fact, it started in the wilderness, in the desert, and it began with a man called John. Now, John was the one that the prophet Isaiah talked about, the one who came crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Interesting fashion sense, John, and an interesting diet. And he came with a simple message, really. He came with a message of repentance. He basically said this, repent and be baptised for the forgiveness of sins. And people came from all the countryside, and you'll see this in Mark chapter 1, from the countryside of Judea and Jerusalem. And they came from the centres, ironically where the message was normally preached. And they went from the centres to the margins. And many came and they listened to the message and were baptised. And uh, as Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in, in Mark introduces John, John introduces Jesus and he says there's a strong man coming, a powerful one. Interesting to use that of Jesus, isn't it? A strong man is coming. And the strong man, well, you know how I baptised you in water? He's going to baptise you in the Holy Spirit. And so John introduces Jesus. Now Jesus, well... Jesus didn't exactly come from the centres either. He didn't come from a learning institution. He actually came from a village in Nazareth of Galilee, a little village in northern Palestine, hardly on the map. You'd probably go in his day, where's that? And he too had a message of repentance. He said, repent and believe in the good news. But he said this too. I hope we can grab this this morning. He said, the kingdom of God is near. It's near. 
He came to usher in the kingdom of God. He came to change the world. He came to shake things up. He came to transform communities. The kingdom of God is near. And we have this trouble sometimes, I think, because I think we, we love to celebrate the birth of Jesus and we love to celebrate the death and particularly the resurrection of Jesus. But sometimes we don't get all the stuff in between. Jesus came to challenge the status quo of his day then and there. He came to change the world. The kingdom of God is near. See, in Jesus' day, this was, there was this massive Oppressive system that exploited the poor and the needy and the vulnerable. And it made many of those in those categories absolutely destitute. They were the crowd. And ironically, the message began at the margins, but it also began with the marginalised. The people on the outside. The people that weren't included in community. They were excluded by an impressive system. Even if you were sick. And, um, you know, sickness falls on the rich and the poor. But, you know, if you're poor and you don't have access to good health care. If you don't have the ability to, to actually pull in the right people to help you get well, then you were always going to be excluded. And if by some sheer miracle you actually had a healing, then that didn't mean to say that you're in or you're clean at all. You were unclean until you went through a purification process that the authorities determined. And if they determined that you were pure, then maybe there's a way back in. And the religious authorities chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the teachers of the law, the, the legal experts, the ones we call the scribes, well, they controlled the system, and for them it was power and privilege. It worked for them. It made them rich, but it made them rich and powerful and privileged at the expense of the many. And so Jesus came to challenge the status quo, the kingdom of God is near. But before he did that, before he challenged them directly, he went on a recruitment drive and, and uh, he didn't go again to the religious institutions. He didn't go to the scribes and say, give me your best people. I want your best people. I, I, wanna, I need some disciples. Give me your best. No. <laughs> he went to the beach the seashores of Lake Galilee. And he saw Andrew and Simon, and they were fishing, and he says, come follow me, we're going to go and fish for peeps. And they followed. A little bit further on, there was the Zebedee boys, James and John, and they were uh, fixing their nets with the hired men in the boat. Come follow me. And they dropped their stuff in the midst of a, a family business with responsibility. I wonder what Zebedee thinks sometimes when these boys just took off and they followed. But I, I, don't, I don't think that they had a clue 
what they were doing when they put their hand up and said, I'll follow you, Jesus. I don't think they knew what they were in for. And I'll be honest, when I put my hand up and said, Jesus, I'm in, I didn't have a clue either. Did you? Did you have a clue about when you said, I'm in, Jesus? Because they were up for the challenge of their lives. They really were. They were up for the challenge of their lives. And so the message began at the margins and it began with the marginalised. And then Jesus went into the very centre of where the authorities, this oppressive religious system operated, into the synagogue at Capernaum in chapter 1. He went right in there at the centre and he began to challenge their authority with his own authority. Mark talks about the people saying, wow, this man Jesus, he speaks with such authority. Not like the scribes. And in the synagogue on that day, there was a man with an unclean spirit. And the spirit was screaming out, what have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us, O Holy One of God? Isn't it interesting how the spirits know who Jesus is, but some of us have a lot of trouble figuring out him ourselves? Interesting, eh? And Jesus orders the spirit to be silent. And then he casts out the spirit and the people go, wow. Even the evil spirits obey him. What authority. He came to challenge the system. He came to pick a fight with the authorities. And in chapter two, he's in a home. And you'll know the story really, really well. He's in a home and it's standing room only and even some of the authorities, the religious authorities, were there. And some friends brought their friend. A man who was paralysed, unclean, on the outside of community. And they couldn't get in the door and so, I love it, eh? They dug a hole in the roof. Anything to get their mate inside. And they lowered him down in the midst of the crowd by Jesus. And Jesus, well, he, he gets to the heart of the matter straight away. Because he says this, Your sins are forgiven. What he was saying was, You're clean. You're on the outside of community, but you are clean. Welcome. Welcome back into community. He's challenging the system, the purification system. And then he heals the man afterwards. Often when we approach Scripture, we, we just look at the healings and we go, wow, that was good of Jesus. We don't realise what's going on there. He's challenging this oppressive System. Chapter 3, back in the synagogue at Capernaum, it's the Sabbath. Jesus is in there and there's a man with a withered hand. And uh, of course it's the Sabbath, isn't it? You don't work, you don't even heal on the Sabbath. That's the system, right? And so Jesus speaks directly to the authorities. And he says, well, is it? good or right on the Sabbath to do good or harm? Do you on the Sabbath save 
alive for, do you kill? What he was asking was this. Is justice legal in your system? Is justice legal? How do you get to do the right thing here with your system? And he healed the man. Jesus came to challenge the authorities because the kingdom of God is near. Now, for, for Annie and I, and, and for those of us who are in Kolkata, um, I could go on and on about the oppressive system there. How little girls get trafficked into prostitution. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, taken from their families and sold and made to, to service men, raped for profit every single day, many times over. We could talk about that today, how poverty actually turns family members, mothers and fathers into traffickers, trafficking their own daughters so they get to eat. Such an oppressive system. But today I want to talk about women that are at the other end of their lives. Women that actually have gone through that and uh, are now at the other end and they're older. And, and recently um, I, was, I sat down with a, a bunch of women, and there's a, there's a slide come up, a bunch of women that uh, have recently retired at Freeset. Look, we've got, some, we've got some challenges doing business and, and we've had a whole bunch of women that we're getting quite old. They've been with us virtually since day one and they weren't very productive. And uh, so it's really hard to do that when you get a high percentage of women that are not so productive and you're trying to do business and pay everybody well. And so we said to them, we love you. You've been here way past your retirement age. Perhaps now that you've got a pension and we'll pay you gratuity and all that, there's money in your bank, it's time to retire. It was a really hard thing for me to do because these women are my sisters, my friends part of community we've journeyed for a long time together so I sat down with them and I said well let's talk about this because I know you're not done yet it's not like you're finished with the business you're not finished we're not finished together what do we do from here and as, as I looked around these women I realized that eight out of ten of them were widows seven out of the ten lived alone and then I as I thought through I, I thought well I've actually been there when some of your husbands have died. And I've been down at Burningard, the cremation place on the Ganges River, when your husband's been cremated. You see, in our society, particularly in a Hindu society, if a woman can get up in the morning and things are seemingly okay, and if her husband has a heart attack and it's a surprise... Within a few hours, the police, the police report has been signed and the body's off, your husband's body's off down at Burning Gart because there's no time, there's no days to call family and to have a funeral. Within a few hours, the body's been cremated and she said goodbye and life has changed forever. And it's not just that a husband has died. Often it means that her means of income has gone. And following the following the, the ashes of the husband floating away in the Ganges. Everybody goes and has a wash in the Ganges. The men go to one place and the women go to another. And 
For some reason, it's been my job every time. I'm the person that waits by all the gear, the purses and the watches and the phones and all that kind of stuff for the women. So I, I'm there looking after their gear while they go and wash. And when the widow comes out of the water, the oldest woman in the group will take her bangles, her marriage bangles, the bangles that say, I'm married to this man. And in our culture, that means it's your covering, it's your identity. And the oldest woman will break those bangles off, signifying she's no longer a married woman. And she doesn't put on the same sari. They bring a white sari, a widow's sari, and she wears the widow's sari. And so she's lost a husband. And now she's lost her identity. And every time, I kid you not, that I have been there, despite everybody around that woman, she will say, I'm alone. I'm all alone. Every time. And I always wait to the end, and so there's only one or two of us left, and it's a long, lonely walk back to her room where nobody generally is. She doesn't say a word. We just walk together, and nothing's said. And in a few days, she's expected to put on a feast for the whole community, despite whether she can afford it or not. And some people help out in the community with a bit of money. Sometimes, often, the, woman, the widow will go and borrow money to put on the feast because she's expected to do that, even though she has little ability to repay the debt. And then the woman at Free Center, and we talked about this at this meeting, because they've got some money and because there is some there is gratuity and there's a pension and they have money in the bank, family members that weren't there all of a sudden start to come out if they realise that there's some money to be had off the widow. The system says that they will try and get their hands on that money and exploit her. And so it... It's asking you questions of us now that we have a whole group of widows. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we do community together? How do we look after them? The Bible talks a lot about that, doesn't it? How do we look after them? But more importantly, they're not done. How do we, how do we journey in community together? How do they continue to add value? How do, how do we do that together? This is the kind of oppressive system that Jesus was challenging. The kingdom of God is near. And in, and in, <coughs> in chapter 11 of Mark, when Jesus enters Jerusalem, you know, we know the, the, the triumphal entry. We, we love the Palm Sunday thing. He's kind of more like a rebel king, isn't he? He hasn't got the endorsement of the authorities. They're out to kill him. He's this rebel king riding in and he goes in for the day to look at the temple. I think he makes some mental notes and then he goes that night back to Bethany. And the next morning they go into Jerusalem again. And he goes into the temple. 
And he starts to lift the tables and overturn the tables. And I imagine that his anger level goes up to a nice 10. And he stops the sellers from selling. They were selling offerings, doves, anything that they could do to make a profit. And he stops the buyers buying. He stopped the trading for a day. And it wasn't because he was offended that they were trading on the day. He said, is it written, isn't it? This is, my house is meant to be a house of prayer for all nations and you have turned it into a den of robbers. He wasn't angry because they were trading. He was angry because in their trading, they were exploiting the poor and the needy. That's what he was angry about. He was challenging the system that continued to oppress people. And then in chapter 11, there's a continual challenging of his authority by others. And now we come to our story. How's that for a leader? And he says this, and this is the last thing that Jesus says when he's teaching in the temple, teaching to her publicly. The rest is often just with the disciples. So this is the last teaching moment. Beware of the scribes and the Pharisees. Beware of the scribes. They loved to walk around in long robes. They loved to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. And they loved the best seats in the synagogues and the place of honour in the banquets. And they devour widows' houses. You see, they were the legal experts. They were the ones that actually settled and helped settle in a state if a, if a husband died. Then they were brought in and they would work through the estate matters we're doing this now with my mum right now, with a lawyer. That's what they did. And they had this reputation of actually exploiting widows out of just about every last cent. They often left them desolate. They devour widows' houses. And they utter, for appearance's sake, long prayers. Greater says Jesus, will be their condemnation. It's kind of like Jesus has come and his prosecutor, isn't it? For this oppressive system. And here's what I believe is kind of like the last straw. Jesus goes to the treasury. It's, ironically, it's called the court of women. And in the treasury, they had 13 trumpet-like vessels that you put your money in. It had a funnel that would go down. And so when the rich came along and they put their coins in, you could almost tick, 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 tick. You almost count them as they were, they were putting in their large sums. And uh, Jesus noticed that there was a widow with her two copper coins. Commentators say it was worth about a 64th 
of a day's wage. Kind of not quite a last meal. It's all she had. Maybe from there she'd just go home and die, I don't know. Like you, I've always seen this passage as, wow, isn't that woman generous? Because <laughs> Jesus says, truly I say to you, she's put in more than others. Because the rich put in a portion, a percentage, and she put in everything that she had. Do you know what I think? I think Jesus was disgusted. I think he was absolutely disgusted that this oppressive religious system was robbing this widow of her last two coins. And he pulls the disciples in. And he says, look at that widow. Now remember, they've they've journeyed with a while. They've seen him challenge the system. See, I can't imagine how Jesus would say, isn't she done a good job after he's just turned the tables over in in the temple because they were exploiting the poor and the needy. And he pulls the disciples in. And he says, have a look at this. What do you see? In the book of Mark, Jesus, and this, and this is the, the amazing way that Mark writes the gospel, often after a healing, perhaps healing the blind, Jesus will talk to the disciples and he'll say to them, are you still blind? <laughs> Do you not yet see? Are you still deaf? Can you not yet hear? Do you still not yet understand? We talked about journeying together. What does it mean to partner? Well, when I put my hand up to follow Jesus, just like those guys did on the beach on the shore of Lake Galilee, I didn't have a clue. But I've come to understand this Jesus that has called us disciples, followers of Jesus, to be involved and participating in the kingdom of God is near. To be part of challenging the system. But to do that, we need to have eyes to see, ears to understand. He's called us to be involved in establishing his kingdom in the here and the now. We'd only get to do that if we can see and we can look at that widow and see for all that it's worth what Jesus is getting at. You know, I wish I could see, and we're going to finish with this. I wish I could see like some of our women. One of the women in the, in the, in the photo there before, when she started at Freeset, she said, my life's over. We talked about this new business. This is 20 years ago. When we talked about this new business and we said, we're going to do this business that will provide the opportunity for you to be free. And she said, well, my life's over. I've been in prostitution for years. That's how women see it. It's finished. Even with an opportunity, their, their life is ruined. And She said, and my daughter's in prostitution, and so her life is ruined as well. But she said, for my granddaughter now, there will be freedom. And as she was saying that, her granddaughter was on her lap, a little girl. 
and uh, their granddaughter, her daughter got her granddaughter married off at 14 years old. And uh, she got married to a man, and she was a widow before she was 20. Her husband died of HIV AIDS in our community. And now she fell in love and, uh, with one of our free-set middle management men who's become a Christian, and they got married. And they've got two children now. So my friend has got two great-grandchildren, and she's free. She could see that somehow. So the question is asked, how do we partner together? It's a partnership of being able to see. It's a partnership of God saying, open your eyes, take a look, because I want you on about my agenda. Let's pray. Father, just being honest, when we said yes to you, there's so much we didn't know about what it means to follow you. And we want to say this morning, there's so much more. And sometimes we don't even want to lean into that because it requires more of us. We prefer to be blind. In fact, Lord, we prefer to be blind with others as well. We, we tend to confirm our own blindness when we just hang out with the same people as us. Give us the courage to lean in to what you want to show us. Give us the courage to believe that when you said the kingdom of God is near, that we're involved with that too, with you too, in changing our world, turning it upside down, transforming our communities. And to do that, we need to see. And so help us to see. Help us to see the unlovely and the unloved, the poor and the needy, the outcasts, the people on the outside of society. It's hard to do when we are part of the privileged few. We are the ones that benefit from the system. It works for us. Help us to venture out and to see through your eyes, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.